Good morning, Bridgeway. How are we? We good? All right. It is good to see you. Welcome to church once again. If we have not met, my name is Brian Kiley, one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you this morning. Uh, real quick announcement. You already heard about it in the video, but do want to encourage you to consider uh, coming out to our budget meeting this afternoon. You're here for the nine o'clock service. You can finish church, you know, go home, grab a bite to eat, whatever, and then come on back. We want to be able to tell you about all the good things God did in this last year and then uh, present to you kind of our plan for the year moving forward, there's just a lot of exciting stuff going on. And, and, and I get it. Like, nobody hears budget meeting and gets really excited. Like, you know, yeah, woo, yay numbers. But, but these numbers symbolize just some incredible things going on in our midst and would love for you to be there to hear about it. So if you're around 1245 this afternoon, uh, I think you'll be glad you came. So that's, that's my announcement. Uh, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's where we're going to be eventually. We are in part two of a series called investing in heaven. Uh, and this is a three-part series that we are doing because uh, there is a subject that Jesus talked about more than heaven, a subject he talked about more than hell, a subject he talked about more than prayer, a subject he talked about more than forgiveness, and that's money. And because Jesus talked a lot about money, we decided as a leadership team and a staff that we need to spend some time as a congregation talking about money. And one of the reasons why I think this is important is because here's something I can know about you without knowing anything about you is that if you are stressed about money, you are stressed. If you are stressed about money, you are stressed. There are many other situations or areas of your life where if you're experiencing some stress in that area, you can be like, well, you know, this maybe this part of my life's not going great, but otherwise I'm okay. You do not feel that way if you are stressed about money, right? If you are stressed about money, you're stressed. And because that's true, Jesus talked a lot about having a healthy relationship with our money. The New Testament talked a lot about having a healthy relationship with our money. The Old Testament talked about us having a healthy relationship with our money. And our culture tempts us in a hundred different ways to be unhealthy financially. But your heavenly Father who loves you and, he lo and who loves me, he wants something better for us. So that's what we're talking about. I've entitled this message, The Influence of Treasure, Stewarding for Happiness and Wholeness. And what I want to understand, what I want us to understand right out of the gate, is there are very few things, if anything, very few things that will impact the condition of our hearts like the placement of our money. There are very few things that will impact the condition of our hearts like the placement of our money. We like to pretend like that's not true. We like to pretend that our heart goes to places that our heart goes out to. Oh, my heart goes out to this. My heart goes out to that. That is not true. Our heart, go, our heart follows our money. There are very few things that affect the condition of our heart, like the placement of our money. And the money and possessions that God has given us, they can be managed in a way that lead to our happiness and our wholeness. Or they can be managed in a way that leads to stress and anger and relational breakdowns and imbalance and all sorts of other toxic situations. Last week, Pastor Lance got us started in a series called, uh, and got, got us started with a message called Practically Changing the World. And he kind of laid the foundation for the series by talking about this reality that from the beginning, God's heart for us is that we would partner with him in his work in the world. That all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God invited Adam and Eve to partner with him in the renewal and restoration of all things. And that is something that continues 
to today. God has invited us to partner with him. And something that Pastor Lance said that I thought was so powerful was he said that God can do things by himself. He is, after all, God. God can do things by himself, but he doesn't want to. He wants to invite us into a process. Like a loving father with his children, he wants to invite us into the process. And he wants to invite us to use our gifts to serve others. He wants to invite us to use the money he has entrusted to us to invest back into his kingdom. And we also, we had some fun last weekend. We did a little bit of live polling. Those of you that were here, did you enjoy that? Like that was, that was pretty cool. I was just excited that it worked. I was nervous all week, but it worked great. It was really fun. And over, across all four services, we had 1,600 people participate, which was really cool. And, and it was just amazing. And we found out that, that a lot of us are consistently seeking to use our money and our resources to reach out and to be a blessing in a, in a variety of different ways. It was really cool. And, and the survey was completely anonymous, so we don't know who said what, but we are able to count. So we did count, you know, kind of aggregate all the data so we know kind of how many people answered questions different ways. And again, a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff we learned from the survey. But we also learned that for a lot of us, money is a source of stress and confusion. It's a source of stress and confusion. In fact, 57% of us said that we have not managed our money in a way that is honoring to the Lord. And when that's true, that creates tension, doesn't it, when we feel that way? And then 67% of us said that we struggle with greed either all of the time or some of the time. Incidentally, we learned that 33% of us are liars. So, (laughs) kidding, I'm kidding. But, I, listen, listen, I will raise my hand. I am absolutely in that 67%, right? Like, I feel like dealing with greed in my heart is like a constant game of whack-a-mole. Like, I get greedy about this. I'm like, no, that's stupid. No, I'm greedy about that. No, that, no, you don't need that. Right, no, it's just like, ugh. I'm trying to get a handle on my greed. It's tough. And it creates tension. It creates tension. Now, to add to the tension, here are a few more statistics for you. This didn't come out of our polling. But according to the American Psychological Association, 78% of Americans list finances as a major source of stress in their life. Look around. Four out of five people in this room, if the statistics hold, finances are a major source of stress in our lives. I don't have to tell you that creates tension. Also learned this week that the average American, according to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, the average American gives about 2.6% of their pre-tax income to charitable causes. And people who make less than $100,000 a year by percentage give the most. So if you think to yourself, oh, I'll give more when I make more, statistically, that is not true. People who make less tend to give more. According to a study published in USA Today in 2017, the average American carries over $5,500 in credit card debt. And then here's the statistic that really hurts. I just told you the average American gives 2.6% of their pre-tax income away. But according to an organization called Nonprofit Source, Christians, on average, give away 2.5% of their pre-tax income. The Christians, it got real quiet in here. Christians, on average, give less of their money away than the general population. And just to make it worse, during the Great Depression, Christians gave, on average, 3.3% of their income away. So we've even gone down from that. And I could go on, but I won't. Why do I share these statistics with you? To overwhelm us with guilt, obviously. That is the point. That is the whole point of this. No, this is, 
This and every other message I give is a guilt-free message. I don't do guilt. I don't, I don't really feel guilty. But I share these statistics simply to acknowledge the tension that so many of us feel when it comes to our finances. We're uncomfortable. We're dissatisfied. We feel like something's not right. We feel like we should give more, but giving makes us nervous. There's all sorts of guilt around the way that we're handling our money. And at the end of the day, what we really want is just, we don't want the stress anymore. We don't want to be stressed out about money anymore. We don't want to experience that tension when it comes to our finances that is familiar to so many of us. And here's the good news. I just don't believe for a second that our Heavenly Father who loves us is looking down on us and saying, you know what I really want for my children? I want them to be stressed out about money. I don't think he's saying, you know what I want? I want them to feel guilty, and I only want them to give out of guilt and obligation. In fact, I'm going to show the world my glory by how guilty all of the people that follow me feel all the time. (laughs) Call me crazy. I don't think God wants that for us. I don't think God wants that for us. I think God wants to show us how we can manage our money in a way that brings brings us happiness and brings us wholeness. So, how do we get to this, this sort of a place? How do we have financial lives that bring us happiness and wholeness? Well, the answer is obvious. We just need to make more money. Some of you are laughing and others are like, yeah, that's good. I'm going to write that down. You know? uh, no, I'm kidding. That's actually not true. In fact, here's the crazy thing. There is virtually no evidence to suggest that the answer to our financial stress is more money. In fact, depending on where you live, you can look this up on the internet. There's all sorts of studies about this. Depending on where you live, Making more money will actually have a positive, in, positive effect on your overall happiness up, into an, up to an average or up to a total yearly income of about $60,000 to $80,000 a year, depending on where you live. Once you get above that, all, again, so many studies show this. Once you get above about $80,000 a year, more money isn't bad, but it has a negligible effect on your overall happiness. And all of us are like, I'm sure that's true for others. I will show that I am the exception. Right? But it's true, more money's not bad, but, having, but so many studies have shown us that having more does not necessarily make us happier. In fact, sometimes money works for your detriment. Uh, go home after church today, here's an extreme example, go home after church today and Google the phrase, winning the lottery ruined my life. Those stories are bananas of just how these, this big windfall of money that we all think would like you know, be the best thing ever, just, just I mean... It's depressing, frankly, to, to read. It's horrible what happened. More money is not a bad thing, but we're fooling ourselves if we think that getting more is going to solve our problems. So if the answer isn't more, what is it? If the answer isn't more, what is it? There are, in my mind, two keys, and I'm not a financial planner, but there are two keys to God-honoring financial health. Those keys are margin and generosity. Margin and generosity. You will be very hard-pressed to find somebody who is feeling good about where they are financially. Not, you'll be very hard-pressed to find somebody that has a lot of joy and peace in their financial life, who has not created margin and who is not generous. Who has not created margin and who is not generous. I want to talk briefly about margin, and then we're going to get into our text to look at generosity. The concept of financial margin is incredibly simple, and, and a lot of you know it. But here's the deal. This is something that I know about you without knowing anything about you, and that is this, that you are currently living on a percentage of your income. 
I know that's deep, right? Like, wow, how did he know? Right? You are currently living on a percentage of your income. And there are two lines that we need to pay attention to when it comes to our money. The first line is this one. I'm just going to create a little imaginary chart right here. This is your total income, right? And then this line is how much of your income you are spending to fund your life. And what we need to understand is that your sense of financial health is determined way more by the space between these two lines than it is the position of this line. In other words, the amount of margin you have in your life has way more of an impact on your financial health than your total income. I don't care how much money you make, $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, $2 million, $20 million, and on and on we can go. I don't care how much money you make. If these two lines are even, you are stressed. You can make $100,000 a year and you're right here and you're stressed. You can make $50,000 a year with margin and you're doing okay. And you're doing okay. There is no amount of money that you can make that will make this feel anything other than incredibly, incredibly stressful. And see, there are two ways we can kind of get ourselves into trouble when it comes to the relationship between these two lines. The first one, I'll be honest, I've experienced myself, is that, is that what we can do is anytime we have an increase in income, say we get a raise or a new job or something else, what do we do? We get a little raise and then boop. We get a little raise, boop. Like, wait a second, I just got a raise three months ago. Why am I stressed? Because you spent it all. From personal experience. <laughs> right? Because what we do is anytime we get an increase, we raise our, oh, if I just had a little bit more, I'll be okay. Well, no, you won't. Because what you're going to do, if the past is any indication, is you're just going to raise your standard of living, so you're going to be stressed again. So you're going to be stressed again. See, that's one way we can do it. Anytime we have an increase, we just raise our standard of living, and we don't feel any better. And then the second way we can get into trouble is this. Every single one of us is living on a percentage of our income. But some of us, if we're honest, we don't know what that percentage is. We don't know what that percentage is. I'm going to talk more about that a little bit later. But for some of us, we're so stressed financially. We're just feeling like we don't have enough at the end of the month. We're feeling like things are just a mess because we don't know. We don't know where our money's going. We don't know where we're spending it all. We don't know what percentage of our income we're living on. So we don't feel like we have any margin because we're not paying attention. And margin is absolutely critical for financial health. And listen, I'm not going to sit up here and present my wife and I as just models of financial health because we're not. Mostly because we bought these two really expensive things in our 20s called master's degrees. We've been paying for them for a really long time. One each, matching sets, really cute. But, but this is an area where I feel like we've experienced a lot of growth through planning and discipline. We've been in the chaos stage. We've been in the overspending and underplanning stage. We, for a long time in our marriage, the financial plan was give away 10% and try not to overdraw the checking account. Like, that was the plan, right? Which is better than no plan, but not by much, right? But over time, this is an area where we've experienced some victory, where we've continued to give, we've started to save, we've paid attention to what, going, what, what we're doing, we've created some margin, and now we're to the point where we live on about 70% of our income. And we feel a lot better. What is that? It's margin. It's margin. It's margin. So that's margin. Second component to a healthy and whole financial life is generosity. Because, listen, here's the deal. Margin without generosity makes you a miser, Right? Like, if you have lots of margin, but you're not generous, you're basically Ebenezer Scrooge, right? 
He had a lot of margin, but I don't know that any of us would be like, yes, that's, he's a great example, right? We got to have margin and we got to have generosity. And as we look at our text this morning, I want to show you the fill in the blank in the sheet in front of you, and it's, and it's this, that generosity is an invitation, not an obligation. Generosity is an invitation, not an obligation. Or here's another way to kind of frame this. I believe, and I've experienced this myself, I believe that because of what generosity will do in your heart, because of what generosity will do in your heart, and I know a lot of you have experienced this, because of what generosity will do in your heart, the biggest beneficiary to your generosity is you. And the biggest beneficiary of my generosity is me because of what it does in my heart. And so God who loves us, God who wants us and our money to get along, God who wants things to be healthy in that area of our lives, wants us to be healthy and whole, he invites us to be generous. So let's dive in. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19. And since it's a short passage, we're going to stop about every three words. Praise the Lord. So here we go. As for the rich in this present age, pause. Who is Paul wanting to direct this part of this message to? Not a trick question. Say it. The rich. The rich. But thankfully, none of us are rich, right? We just know someone who is. A rich person, my definition of a rich person is just someone with a little bit more than me, right? I'm not rich, they're rich, right? But if 1 Timothy were written today, and Paul was referring to the rich, what sorts of people would he be referring to? Us. Us. <gasps> Us. If you're in this room, you are almost certainly, by a global standard, rich. Oh, if you can hear my voice, you're watching online, you're almost certainly rich. You, you and I were rich. I'm not saying things are tight. I'm not saying you don't have financial struggles, but I'm telling you, from a global perspective, you're rich, I'm rich. And here's the deal. There is so much talk in our world about how to get rich, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but you know blog posts and magazine articles and books and webinars and seminars and all this stuff. Here's how you get rich. In fact, I've just, I've determined, I think the best way to get rich is to start a seminar about telling other people how to get rich and charge them a lot of money to come to it. Like that's, that's my plan. But all this talk about how to get rich, but we don't talk that much about how to be rich. We don't talk about, okay, all right, I'm rich. Now what do I do? I have this opportunity, there's, there's opportunity in this, what do I do with it? See, we focus so much on getting rich, we don't talk that much about being rich. And I think for a lot of us in this room, a big reason why we don't think about being rich is because the idea that we are rich is absurd. Some of you are looking at me like, I'm not, how dare you, right? Because we don't think we're rich. We think someone else is rich, but we're not, and we are, and there's opportunity in that. So a better question, so I don't want to waste the rest of my life trying to get rich. I just want to acknowledge, listen, I am rich. And God, you have, you've, you've given me this opportunity, so what do I do with it? How do I steward this opportunity well? I think for some of us, we don't want to admit that we're rich because there's this like weird like shame thing associated with it, which I think is ridiculous. I don't think you need to apologize for it. I don't think you need to feel guilty about it. It just is what it is. But, and here's the real sneaky part. I think for a lot of us, we're uncomfortable with the idea of admitting that we're rich because here's what we can do, and I, I, I know because I've done this, is that we look at people with more than us, and we say, yeah, they should be giving more. They need to be doing more. They, they need to be solving problems in the world with the resources that they have. And what's the sort of subtext of that? 
and I don't need to because I'm not rich. What does it do? It becomes an excuse. It becomes an excuse to not use the resources that I've been given for good because I can look at someone else with more and I can just spend my time judging them instead of trying to do something with what God has given me. Who benefits from that? Nobody. Nobody. So I want us to understand we're rich. And I, just, I want us to be able to ask the question, okay, God, how do I be rich? I don't need to get I already am. What, is it, what does it look like to be rich? Because listen, when we're obsessed with getting rich, we're focused on scarcity and accumulation. There's not enough and I need more. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy, you can look at this if you want. Paul says in 1 Timothy, just a few verses before the verses we're looking at today. He says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sounds fun, huh? But listen, being rich is not bad. But obsessing about getting rich will mess you up. The person who is intent on getting rich always needs just a little bit more. But when we acknowledge that we are rich, we can be focused on God's abundance, being thankful for God's abundance, and we can be focused on generosity, using what we've been given to be a blessing to others. And, and just to be clear, if you're a business owner, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to grow your business, to increase cash flow. If you're an employee, I'm not saying it's wrong to advance your career, make more money. Like, there's a lot of good you can do with that, and don't hear me saying that that's wrong. I don't think that's wrong at all. But what I am saying is don't think that you're not rich now, but you will be rich later. Because if you don't believe you're rich now, here's what you're going to do when you have more money. You're just going to compare yourself to different people. And say, no, 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 they're, yeah, I realize I looked at people like me and I said they were rich, but actually now that I'm one of them, I'm not, but they are, right? You can make a billion dollars a year and still have somebody else to look at and say, no, 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 I'm not rich. They're rich, Right? But a much better way to spend our lives is to say, yeah, I'm rich. So what am I going to do with it? How am I going to steward this opportunity that God has given me? So Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, in other words, command them, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Being rich isn't bad, but it does subject us to some unique temptations. And here, what does Paul say rich people need to be careful of? Number one, don't get haughty, which I'm pretty sure if you use the word haughty, you're haughty, right? Well, what does it mean? It just means don't be arrogant or proud. Don't be arrogant or proud. Don't let your money think you're, make you think you're something that you're not. Don't let your money make you think that you're more important than somebody with less than you. Or here's, here's one way, here's a sneaky way, because for a lot of us, like, oh, I don't know that overt arrogance like this sense of like, man, I'm just, I'm just better than everyone because I have more money. I don't know that a lot of us struggle with that. Maybe some of us do. I don't know. I just don't feel like that's a live issue for many of us. But here's how the arrogance of wealth can kind of sneak into our hearts in a way that's almost unnoticeable at first. Since you and I have money, we don't need to rely on each other as much. Since you and I have money, we don't need to rely on each other as much, so we begin to think that we're self-sufficient. See, you and I, we were built for community. We're built for relationship. But the reality is community is messy. The reality is friendships, long-term relations, they're hard. Because people are difficult, we're difficult, it's hard, it's messy. So what we tend to do is we tend to back away from community unless we really need it for our physical survival. Right? 
And because we have money, we don't tend to need community as much for our physical survival. So what do we do? We go into our houses, we close our garage doors, we stare at our screens, and we wonder why depression and loneliness are on the rise, right? What is that? That's this subtle arrogance that comes with money that says, you know, no, 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 I don't need the hassle of other people. I've, I'm, I'm good on my own. And we're beginning as a society to see the effects of that as loneliness is becoming a medical problem and all sorts of other stuff, right? Don't, we, can't, we have to be careful because money, money, again, money's not bad, but it can be very isolating. It can be very isolating. And we need to be careful to not let the money in our bank accounts fool us into thinking we don't need other people because virtually every study of human happiness, Christian, secular, you name it, will tell us that relationships are absolutely vital to our long-term happiness. Why is it? Well, that shouldn't surprise us. God made us for community, right? And then second, he says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Like, stuff is great, stuff is fine, just don't value it too highly, In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warns us to watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. And in Jesus' world, greed is not just the love of money and stuff. It is excessive preoccupation about it. It's thinking about it all the time. It's stressing about it all the time. That, for Jesus, is greed. And it's so interesting. Jesus warns us about all sorts of other vices in the Gospels. But there's only one time where he tells us to watch out for something. I've talked about this before. He tells us to watch out for greed. He doesn't tell us to watch out for murder. But he says, watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. Why does he have to tell us to watch out for greed? Because greed is sneaky. Because greed dresses itself up like something else. I'm not greedy. I'm careful. I'm not greedy. I'm particular. I'm not greedy. I just really like these sorts of, I just like things to be a certain way. I'm not greedy. I'm frugal. Right? Greed, greed is like the Trojan horse of vices, right? It like dresses up as something else, like gets into our herd. Oh, sure, this looks fine, no problem. And then it's in there and it just starts to run amok, right? Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for greed. And then what he says next is so powerful. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Your life is not defined by your possessions. My life is not defined by my possessions. And because that is true, do not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Do not let your life, your sense of value, be defined by what you possess. Two very practical applications for this quickly. Number one, quit the comparison game. You cannot win it. You, whoever you are comparing yourself to saying, I need to get this or get that, or my kids need this thing, or we got to send them to this place, or we got to start this program, or we need to do, everybody else is doing this thing, so we got to do it, or we need a bigger, better, blah, 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 blah. You cannot win that game. You cannot win that game. And when you play that game, what are you doing? You are letting other people, who are not paying as much attention to you as you think, by the way, you are letting other people live your life for you. You're letting them make your decisions for you. You're letting them get you into financial problems because you just can't help but compare yourself to them, and you've got to have what they have. It's a game you absolutely cannot win. And then number two, don't give things the power to devastate you. Don't give things the power to devastate you. What do I mean by that? I mean, and this is just, I just made this decision a long time ago, and I have found it to be profoundly helpful at particular times in my life, that I've just said, there is no possession that I own that I would be devastated by its loss. 
None. Zero. Nothing. I refused a car, house, computer, whatever. No, I refuse to give possessions that kind of power over me. Why? Because my life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. And the same is true for you. And if you can make that switch in your head, you will find there's tremendous freedom in that. Your one and only precious God-given life is not made worthwhile by what you have. God has given you a hope that is more secure than hope in stuff. And praise God for that. So, Paul says, do not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Instead of counting on your stuff to make you feel significant, look to the God who made you and says you're significant. Instead of looking to your stuff to make you feel significant, look to God who says you are significant. Look to God who gives you good gifts to enjoy, and then begin to look at the things that you have as gifts from him. And I've just found, just for me, when, I, when I've made that sort of shift in my mind where I start to view everything I have as a gift, where I just say, no, 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 I'm not playing the entitlement game. I'm not entitled to anything. Just whatever I have is a gift. I have found that that is sort of, that has changed my relationship with my stuff in two profound ways. Number one, I can enjoy what I have with thankfulness. I can enjoy, what, whether it's physical possessions. Like, like my wife and I, we just, we just sold our house, and after a month of, Living on the pull-out bed in my dad's office, we're moving into a new house this week. Praise the Lord. I don't know who's more excited that we're leaving, right? <laughs> right? Like, that's exciting. I'm grateful. To, that's a gift from God. I'm so, that's so cool. Like, I'm thankful. I'm not entitled to it. Like, it's a gift, right? Car, electronics, things that I have. Like, it, they're gifts. They're gifts. And, 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 it's, and it's wonderful to be able to enjoy them. Whether, you know, the, the resources to take my kids to basketball games, which is something we love to do together, and just enjoy that time. That's a gift. You know, a date out with my wife, that's a gift. Coffee with a friend or a morning out on the hiking trails or doing just things I like to enjoy. What are those things? They're gifts. They're gifts I enjoy. I don't feel guilty about those things, and you shouldn't either. I enjoy them with thankfulness. And then number two, I can share them freely. If everything I have is a gift, why do I need to hoard what I have? If everything I have is a gift from God, why do I need to hoard what I have? No, I don't need to. I don't need to because my life is not defined by how many gifts I have. My life is defined by my Heavenly Father who loves me. And my Heavenly Father who loves me says, you know, Brian, I've been really generous with you, and that's pretty fun. So I want to invite you to just pass that on. Be generous with other people. My generosity, God would say to each and every one of us, my generosity is not meant to stop with you that I'm going to invite you into this process as well, that you can be generous also. Because generosity, it is an invitation, not an obligation. It's an invitation, not an obligation. So I can share freely, and I can enjoy with thankfulness. Let's keep going. Verse 18. The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. What are, what are the rich to do? What are people like us to do? We're to do good. We're to do good, Paul says. And because we're rich, we're invited to be rich in good works. Rich in good works. And on this last part of verse 18, I want to get very, very practical. He says we are to be generous and ready to share. Pastor Lance talked a little bit last week about percentages, and he talked about how the Old Testament law was that you gave 10%, that that was non-negotiable, that was the law, excuse me, everybody did it whether they liked it or not. 
and how in the New Testament, the standard is different. In the New Testament, the standard when it comes to giving is this. Be generous. It's be generous. It's not a religious duty. It's not, okay, check the box, so I've done this, and I don't need to worry about how I'm dealing with the rest of my resources. The standard is be generous. Be generous. And how do we make that happen practically? Paul says we are to be generous and ready to share. Ready to share. Generosity rarely happens by accident. Nobody just sort of stumbles into generosity, right? Generosity happens through transformation and preparation. Transformation and preparation. First, we're transformed as we experience the generosity of God. We look at God's generosity towards us. We look at God's generosity as shown in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We look at God's generosity towards us in giving us the Holy Spirit. We look at God's generosity in calling us his sons and daughters and and giving to us far more than we could ever hope to deserve. And we allow that to transform us. We allow that to transform our hearts, that we who have received much, that that transforms us to a place that as we have so received, we want to then now give. We want to then now give. God who lavishes his generosity on us, we are now invited to lavish that generosity on others. So listen, if you're someone, if you're someone who doesn't give much or whose financial giving is not a big part of your life, like my message to you is not, come on, you need to be better and give more. Like, no, I think that's a really toxic message, actually. That's not my message to you at all. My message to you is I want you to experience more of the generosity of God. I want you to see the beauty of, of, of all that God has done to you. I want you to be transformed by God's generosity towards you. Because once you've done that, once that happens, I'm not, I don't need to convince you of anything. Once that happens, you're going to see what is true. And that is that by not being generous, you are missing out on an extraordinary invitation from your heavenly father to participate in his work in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I have no interest in being critical. I have zero interest in guilt or manipulation or any of that. But I want you to experience what generosity does to your heart. I want you to experience the deep soul level joy that comes from getting dollars outside of your kingdom into God's kingdom and then seeing what happens to your heart. I want you to be transformed. I want to be continually transformed so that I am more and more generous. And then prepare. That's transformation. And then prepare. Be ready to share. And I just very briefly, I want to teach a principle that I teach during one of the weeks of our class called The Path. We do a week on money and possessions, and I, and I teach this very simple principle. It's called prioritize percentage giving. And if you're not giving anywhere right now, I, just, I want you to consider this. Prioritize percentage giving. This is what it means. Number one, priority. We say, God, I'm going to make giving a priority. God, I'm not going to, you know, take care of all of my stuff and see what's left at the end and see if I can, you know, maybe spare a little bit there. No, no, I'm going to make giving a priority. That that's going to be one of the first, nobody writes checks anymore, but one of the proverbial first checks I write each month. Before I fund my kingdom, I'm going to fund yours. Not fund yours entirely, but I'm going to get my dollars out into your kingdom. So make it a priority. Number two, pick a percentage. Pick a percentage. Don't just wait till you're feeling, don't I'll just sort of give when I feel like it. No, no, no. Pick a percentage. Look at your income and pick a percentage. We said last week that the Old Testament standard was the tithe, 10%. And we said how the New Testament standard, I just said it a moment ago, is to be generous. And I'll just be honest with you, I have a hard time believing 
that God and his generosity towards us, God who wants to use us to show his generosity to the world, I have a hard time believing he would say to us, yes, it makes sense that my people in the 21st century in America would give less than Israel did. I have a hard time believing that that's true. So for many of us, I I believe that 10% is a starting line, not a finish line. It's a starting line, not a finish line. But at the end of the day, you need to pick a percentage. And listen, for some of us, giving away that much of our income is truly impossible. And if that's true, again, zero guilt. Zero guilt about it. None of us should ever for a minute feel guilty about not being able to give more because Jesus makes it clear that God cares more about the heart than the amount. But for a lot of us, if we're really honest, it's not impossible, it's just uncomfortable. I mean, some of us, we've just been raised in it. It's all we ever know is, of course, we give at least 10%, and that's just what we do. But for many of us, we haven't. And the idea of giving that much, it's not impossible, it's uncomfortable. And I, but I think that getting our generosity in shape is a little bit like getting our physical bodies in shape, or if we've been, like, sitting on the couch for six months, and then we go exercise real hard that first time, we're like, oh, boy, I'm a little sore now. Not sure I want to do that again. But as we create a plan, as we stick with it, as we continue on, we begin to see the results. And the results are so great, we don't want to go back to how things were before. That's how it works with getting our generosity in line as well. Is it hurts a little at the beginning. It's uncomfortable at the beginning. But the results are so great that we want to stick with it. So if you haven't already, pick a percentage. And then you give it away. That part is not complicated. You give it away. You get those dollars outside of your kingdom. And listen, if you, if you go to church, if you call this place home, I hope you give here. I hope you believe in what we're doing, and I hope that you'll give here. But if you don't want to give here, fine, give somewhere else. And that's not like a Jedi voodoo mind trick. Like, just give. Like, just give. That's the point. Get dollars out of your kingdom into God's kingdom. Where you do it is between you and him. Just give. And watch what happens to your heart. Because you're going to see that you're not as attached to your stuff as you used to be. You're going to find, you give here, you're going to find you're a lot more invested in what's going on at Bridgeway than you used to be. You're going to find you're a lot more interested in spending time with God than you used to be. You're going to find you're a lot more interested in the organizations that you donate to and support financially than you used to be. Why? Because a really smart guy once said that your heart follows your money. And when your money gets outside of your kingdom and into God's kingdom, your heart follows. And all of this requires a plan. All of this requires a plan. We don't become generous by just giving when the feelings strike. We become generous by making a plan. We don't need more to become more generous. We need to plan for what we've got. And listen, you heard an announcement earlier. Our budget care team, they are in the lobby this weekend. We've got men and women who are trained up to work with you to help you create a plan to get to a point where you're managing your money and your money's not managing you, right? They're there to help you. And I told you that for my wife and I, for far too long, we were on the give 10% and try not to overdraw the checking account plan, which you just don't read about that in a lot of books. But this was, I just want to tell you, this, was, this is our, our getting a plan story. I want to tell you our getting a plan story. I want to tell you a story of how we've seen this affect our lives very recently, and then we'll be done. For far too long, my wife and I, we were stressed about money. We were flat out stressed. We were a statistic. We were what you think about when you think about just a couple that fights about money all the time. We weren't on the same page. We just didn't have a plan. And then finally, in our eighth year of marriage, eight took us eight years to figure this out. Eighth year of marriage, 
we got to the point where we said, all right, we've had enough. We're getting on a budget. And I did some research, and we picked out a budgeting program. And we've started using that program. So what we, did, what we started to do is at the end of every month, I would spend some time. I'd sit at the computer, and I'd create a budget for our next month. I just created our June 2018 budget the other day. And I am telling you, that small discipline has been nothing short of life-changing for us. As a matter of fact, when we went out to dinner on our eighth anniversary, we like to spend time on our anniversary dinners just reflecting on the previous year, thankfulness, man, what, what, what's God done in this last year? What are some exciting times? What are some highlights or trips or whatever? One of the first things we brought up was this was the year we got on a budget. I don't know what you're thinking. You must have had a lousy year if that's a highlight. But no, we had a great year. But it was that transformative for us. We fight about money 99% less than we used to. We're giving more and saving more than we ever have in our lives. We're organized. We're on the same page. And I'm less stressed about money than I've been in my whole life. Other than that, it's not that great. <laughs> right? It has made such a difference. We both have apps on our phone so we can quickly and easily log our purchases so we know where we're at financially at all times. It takes me a half an hour a month to set our budget. I asked my wife the other day in preparation for this. I said, hey, how long would you say you spend logging purchases each month? And she says, well... It takes me 10 seconds every time I do it. So I would say generously, maybe five minutes. Maybe five minutes. And it is absolutely transformed. I, like, I could not overstate the impact. If you don't have a plan, get a plan. You will not regret it. And budgeting this way, listen, budgeting this way has helped a little when it comes to things like giving to Bridgeway or supporting missionar the missionaries that we support. But we were kind of already doing that. That's been a part of my life for as long as I've been a Christian. We were already doing that. But here's where it really helped. And this is just a small little thing that has made a really big difference and that I hope that continues to make a, a bigger difference as kind of I continue on in my life. Where, it's where I've really seen the power of this concept is, this, is the, these simple words from 1 Timothy 6.18 where it talks about being ready to share. Being ready to share. If we were to sit down and look at my budget, or if I were to get out my laptop and throw it up on the screen, here's what you would see. You would see the first category in our budget is giving. And you would see a line for Bridgeway, where we do the majority of our giving. And then you'd see a line for a couple of missionaries we support, a Compassion International kid that we, we sponsor. And then you'd see a line called Other Giving. I love this line, the Other Giving line. I talk about this in the path, too. So if you've taken the path, you're hearing this again. And what that is, is we just decided a while ago, we just said, you know what, every month we're just going to set a little bit of money aside so that when opportunities to give present themselves, we're ready for it. So when opportunities to give present themselves, we're not like, oh boy, I'd really love to, but I don't have the, oh man, but my heart goes out to you, da 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 da, da. Like, we want to create a plan, because we want to be able to give. So what we do, and I'm, you know, it's not a lot of money, but we put money in that account every month. And so here's what happens. So just the other night, it was late at night, everybody in my house was asleep, and I was on Facebook, because I like to use my time wisely. And, and the wife of one of my best friends from college was doing a fundraiser for her birthday. If you're on Facebook, maybe you've seen these things. People can do fundraisers for their birthday. And she was raising money for a cause that I care very deeply about. Not to mention, I, I love her husband and her, they're very precious to us. And what I was able to do is I saw that she was raising money. I'm like, man, this cause really matters a lot. So you know what I did? In about four seconds, I donated $100. And why was I able to do that? Was it because I'm the sort of person who can just throw $100 bills around like they're nickels? No. I'm not that person at all. 
Why was I able to do that? Because we made a plan. We put a little bit of money aside each month. And I knew, hey, we've got money in our other giving category. I care about this cause. I love these people. Boom. I'm able to give to a cause I care about and encourage some friends. It was awesome. I can't imagine. What could I have done with that $100 that would have been more exciting than being able to give in that moment? And I could tell you just a dozen little stories like that. Nothing extravagant. But times when we're able to, you know, bring food to people in the hospital or support refugees in our community or, 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 or you know, provide, you know, spend money on providing legal support for, for kids who need legal services or to friends in need or to causes that we care about. And listen, I have such a long way to grow in this area, such a long way to grow. But we've already seen the impact that can be made when we're ready to share because we made a plan. And listen, even as I look out of this room and look at some of you, so many of you, you are a hundred miles ahead of me in this stuff. In fact, you're hearing what I'm saying, and you're like, oh, honey, that's cute. Look at him. He's at step one. <laughs> oh, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at that smile. Oh, remember when we were like that? We were at step one. It was so, it was so great. Like, that just, that was so nice. Yeah, look at, oh, that's so cute, right? Good, good, for, good, way to go, bud. Yeah. I, I view myself as a very average giver. I don't view myself as exceptional at all, whereas I know many of you in this room truly are. But I also know that there are many of us in this room who haven't responded to God's invitation to be generous. And I'm telling you, your heavenly father who loves you and who loves me, who's been so generous with you, he longs for you. Now is the time for you to, for you to say, okay, God, I'm in, I'm joining you. I want to be generous with others like you have been generous with me. And I'm telling you, your only regret will be that you didn't start sooner. To finish out the passage. Paul says, here's what happens when we're generous and ready to share. He says, be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What's, the, what's on the other side of generosity? It's life. Do you want to really live? Do you want to experience the fullness of life as God intended it? Do you want a financial life that brings you happiness and wholeness? Do you want a life that is better than a life that is defined by the abundance of your possessions? Then create margin and respond to God's invitation to a generous life. G give here, give somewhere else, that's between you and God, but respond to the invitation. And just last thing as we close, can you imagine what would happen if we got this? What if, just think about locally, what if every Christ follower in Placer County, every Christ follower in Sacramento County said, you know what, I'm in. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. God has been generous with me, so I want to join God in this journey of generosity. I am getting dollars outside of my kingdom and into God's kingdom. I'm going to support the ministry of my local church financially. I'm going to support organizations that I care about that are doing important work in our city and around the world. I'm going to set money aside so I'm ready to be generous when the opportunity presents itself. Can you imagine what God would do in our city if every single one of us responded to that invitation? Could you imagine what God would do in our city? Could you imagine what God would do in our hearts? I think we'd see that generosity is an invitation, not an obligation. I think we'd experience a relationship with our money that leads to happiness and wholeness. I think God would get a lot of glory and we would get a lot of joy. And I think we'd see God do something extraordinary. Amen?
So I want to invite the prayer team up, and I want to close us in prayer. If you've got a prayer need, if you have a prayer need related to your finances, these folks would love to pray for you if you're sorting this stuff out. If you've got a prayer need that is related to literally anything else, they would love to pray for you about that as well. So please come see them. Um, but let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have been generous with us. And, and God, in the preparation and delivery of this message, I, I cannot help but think about the tragedy of how often this subject of, of money and finances have been handled poorly in your church. Where throughout history there's been too much guilt, too much obligation, too much religious duty, not enough joy, not enough grace, not enough generosity. So God, I just want to, for, for anybody here today that is feeling a sense of guilt over any of this, God, I want to pray against that in Jesus' name. God, for some of us, you're stirring us up, and there's some conviction, and we know we need to take a step in our generosity. We know we need to create some margin so that we can live generously. So God, I pray that we would be able to joyfully follow you into that. But again, there would not be a bit of guilt or manipulation or any of that. But God, I do pray that we as a congregation, as we continue to move into greater and greater generosity. God, I pray that as we give, that you would indeed use our generosity for your glory, that God, there would be transformation in our hearts, that there would be transformation in our city because of what you're able to do through the generosity that you inspire in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend.